Welcome to the Third Growth Option Podcast, where we talk with business leaders and innovators hungry to drive growth that can be faster than internal organic growth and less risky than acquisition. Your moderator is Bernal Dunkerspuler, Chief Sherpa and CEO at Realign, who has led private equity-owned distributors through turnarounds and growth. With battle-proven leaders from all frontiers, we want to provoke thinking about business growth beyond conventional wisdom and binary choices. I am Benno Gross-Sherpa and moderator, sitting here with Paul Miklach, owner and managing director of Start Something Bold, a front-end innovation firm that uh, focuses on three major phases of work for small, medium, mid-market manufacturers, mostly of uh, medical product and industrial goods. Hey, Paul, say hi to our audience here. Hi, Benno. Thanks so much for having me on your show. I'm really looking forward to the conversation today. So just to let the audience know a little bit more about Paul, uh, you studied uh, industrial design at DAP here in Cincinnati, one of the best industrial design programs in the country. Before starting your own front-end innovation firm in 2014, six years ago, you uh, worked with Ethicon, with Hillram, logic product development for nine years, then uh, with Kaleidoscope for five years, where you headed up the medical business unit, working with a lot of big names, Ethicon, Endosurgery, Janssen, Orthoclinical Diagnostics, etc. Before we kind of get into the topic of, you know, clarifying paths to growth, design thinking for manufacturers, I always like to start out with a travel story because travel and growth are both about changing, right? Uh, Travel changes us, growing a business changes us. Is there a sort of favorite travel story that pops into your mind? Sure. And, um, you know, I think I love to travel and, you know, I've had the fortune to travel throughout the United States, but then also in Europe and Asia as well. And to kind of build upon that kind of theme, you know, as I've done work across different cultures, I think I've had to learn how to change my communication style as I talk to different cultures. And so I think that's one of the things that travel does influence, like how we conduct business. So I think that's really interesting. To tell you like a fun travel story, as I like to visit different cities, I always like to find like local restaurants that you know, people kind of recommend. And so I think as I travel to different locations, I'm, I'm always asking, you know, where should I go have dinner that night? And so one of my favorite stories is I was in Bangkok, Thailand, and I was doing research. And uh, the company I was working with had a university student who was interpreting the language as we were doing research throughout the day. And um, I said, I love Pad Thai. Like, I'm in Bangkok. Like, I have to have, like, the best pad thai in the the city. So I said, like, where do you recommend me, you know, having a good pad thai tonight when I after I go back to my hotel and stuff like that? And she, she kind of looked on her phone, and she was, you know, kind of looking up some things. And I thought she was going to give me, like, hey, go to this restaurant. And uh, what she ended up doing was texting her mom, who makes supposedly the best pad thai in Bangkok, and she said, my mom is inviting you over for dinner tonight so she can cook you pad thai. And I was like, well, let's let's go. Let's go on this adventure. And so it was, you know, very welcoming. It's a great culture, great people in Thailand. And so, 
you know, they had me in their home and we had a beautiful pad thai. And it was just a great conversation to just kind of get to know the people and have that conversation over a meal. So that's that's my story. I know where to get the best pad thai in Bangkok, but it may be hard to recommend for you if you go ever go there. So that's my story. Hard to replicate that one for me, right? Yes, or- <laughs> it is. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> so because we're called the third growth option podcast, because I, I like to think sort of in threes instead of binary choices between one or the other. You know, I always think that there is a third way to do something, maybe even better. Have you ever been faced with a problem you thought it was sort of between A or B and you ended up with C, the third option that was like completely unsuspected and kind of made all the difference for you? Yeah. So I think about like six, seven years ago when I was trying to figure out like different paths before I started the business. And I think, you know, one option would have been just stay where I was and that would have been fine. Another option would have been like go work for someone else and and find a different job. Or the third option was to start my own business and kind of work with different partners to kind of get that idea off the ground. And so for many people, I think option A and B is kind of the obvious choice. Like I'll just stay here. I'll just kind of be content or I'll just go find somewhere else to work and do something else. But to me, starting a business had been on my mind for a while for a couple of reasons. One is in working in different agencies, I wanted to to really create an environment that allowed our team members to do their best work. And, and that was what I felt was really kind of focusing on the client. And so remove a lot of barriers that exist within agencies and companies so that our team could really kind of focus on the best work. And then from another standpoint, as a designer, I worked on a lot of different products Some of them were successful, some of them not so much, and then other projects were kind of canceled halfway through their development. And so I started to think about, like, what makes a product successful and how can I help companies make these decisions earlier in the process? And so what I wanted to to do is kind of start to work upstream. So I think there were a couple things that were kind of working in my, my mind as I was kind of making that decision you know, path C to start a business, as you know, it's a lot more difficult than it's expected. Um, Seemed like a good idea at the time, yeah, right? <laughs> yes, yes. And and so I think you also see so many of these success stories with entrepreneurs being, you know, out of the gate so successful. And you think, well, the, it kind of makes it look easy. But, you know, it's a lot of hard work. And, you know, right now I use kind of my design skills to kind of focus on how to design a business, which is a new challenge. So I think that's, you know, a lot of things were kind of coming together, good partners, you know, a lot of things that just kind of made the timing right in 2014 to kind of launch the business. You know, I, I think of you as as this sort of calm, thoughtful, and, and also bold designer and entrepreneur now, right? And, you know, we both work with similar clients. You work with manufacturers in the industrial space, uh, medical space. We work with manufacturers and distributors in consumer products mostly. And, you know, we're bringing different capabilities, different perspectives to engagements. You know, we're we're super sort of execution-driven, revenue-obsessed, and Start Something Bold is using a different approach. So I'm just looking forward to kind of digging in here. And you talk about clarifying the paths to growth 
when you guys work with manufacturing clients, what, what do you mean by clarifying the paths to growth? Yeah, so there's obvious multiple paths that they can kind of go down to kind of grow their business. And I think oftentimes what I see is that the manufacturing companies, you know, as they continue to grow, there has to be more rigor and kind of analysis as they start to decide like which path is the right to grow. We only have so many resources and capital to kind of invest. How do we know that we're really kind of focused on the path that's going to return the most? And so when I think about how to help guide clients to really kind of figure out which paths to grow, it's really kind of centered around how do you understand what the customer needs are? Because I really do believe that if you really kind of follow the customer and really kind of you know design your products and services around meeting the customer's needs where they're at, your strategy is going to be more successful. It's going to be more aligned to what their needs are. And you're going to have more opportunities to be successful. So I think that's how I like to think about, you know, clarifying paths to grow is really about connecting their customer needs to their strategy and making sure that they're aligned. Now, I also know that the fastest growing middle market manufacturers are doing three things. So they're expanding into adjacent markets, they're adding value-added services, and they're pursuing like the internet of things, IOT and technology. And so as they're starting to determine like different paths that they could kind of go down, we also have to look at some of these themes and start to understand, are there adjacencies that maybe if they invest a little bit more in, they could be more successful in that area? Or, you know, from a manufacturing standpoint, they're so used to, you know, delivering this kind of product could they move into offering services that help support that? And then the, the technology play, I think everyone has to at least be cognizant of what the impact of their business is going to be. But, you know, really it's about understanding different themes that are going on in the environment and really, again, making sure that they connect their strategy to the customer, especially as they start to evaluate different options. Mm-hmm. And so you're talking a lot about being customer-centric versus product-centric. And this term design thinking has sort of been in vogue for for the last few years and probably was 30 or 50 years ago and will be again in 20 years. I don't know. But how do you think about design thinking versus traditional thinking? Yeah, so I'll give you a little kind of backstory because, you know, design thinking is what you learn in design school, right? It's about putting the customer first and really understanding what their needs are, what their pains are, and then going through a process of what I would call divergent and convergent kind of ways to really kind of explore and then pull it together. And so I think, you know, design thinking to me is kind of rooted in that simplicity of really being focused around customers and being a good explorer and then kind of really kind of analyzing the research and making some good recommendations. I think what I love about this kind of design thinking that everybody's aware of now is that 20 years ago when I graduated from design school, it was very different, right? Design thinking was not accepted throughout business and marketing. And and so now what I love about it is people are aware of design thinking. They're being trained on it. And so they understand bits and pieces of it. And the companies that are great to kind of work for are those who are hungry to kind of take it to a deeper level. And I think that's one of the things that we 
really kind of love to kind of focus on is really kind of building upon that. And oftentimes, you know, showing clients through projects and research, like what it means to do design thinking, not just in a classroom. So I think those are some of the ways that I like to think about design thinking and different methodologies as well. And when you're talking about divergent versus convergent, divergent is sort of thinking outward, looking at the customer. Convergent is sort of bringing it back home to the enterprise, to the organization, to the operation. And, you know, a a lot of business terminology is around that convergent, enterprise-centric, traditional thinking, planning, analysis, avoid failure, all very important things, but they are sort of historic back, you know, rear view mirror looking as opposed to front windshield. And when you're talking about design thinking, you're talking about a structure that helps us manage the future, which is filled with ambiguity. And CFOs and CEOs don't like ambiguity. Wall Street does not like ambiguity, but design thinking sort of helps tame that beast a little bit, doesn't it? It does. And I think there's a couple ways to kind of think about that, right? So the first one is you absolutely have like short-term quarter-by-quarter goals that you're trying to accomplish, right? And so I think like those projects are, are down, you know, they're, they're kind of moving along and they're delivering. You know, when we talk about like front-end innovation or design thinking, it's where you're probably looking out a little bit further and trying to understand, okay, what can we do beyond our current product portfolio? What can we do maybe beyond our current markets that we serve? And how do we start to add new value to our customers long-term? So if you think about it, companies today, if they were to take a reflection, if they looked back 10 years from now, the products and services that they offered 10 years ago today are very different, I would imagine, right? And so I think it's having that discipline and balance between really kind of focusing on, you know, short term, keeping the core business kind of moving, but at the same time, investing in some things that are going to allow you to grow in different ways and allow you to add new value to customers kind of long term. And then you've talked to me in the past about push marketing versus pull marketing. How, how do you think those are different from each other? And, and how do you think about push versus pull? Yeah, so I'll I'll kind of share some of the stories with you, right? So I think what I've seen is a lot of, you know, some of the middle market manufacturers that that we've worked with, you know, their product ideas come from engineering and manufacturing, and they think they're good ideas. And oftentimes they are, but sometimes they kind of miss the mark a little bit, right? Or sometimes all together, right? And so when I think about push versus pull in that sense, what I'm thinking about is we're pushing out products and ideas that we think customers want without really truly understanding what their needs are. And when I think about like, how do we first take a break and say, let's go understand the customer's needs, the market that they serve in, and really kind of break it down and really try to figure out, are there certain ways that our products or services can uniquely meet those needs and then kind of focus on delivering or executing through engineering and manufacturing. I think that's how I like to think about the difference between the two is, is are we, we kind of making some assumptions as to what customers need, which you, know, you, you may or may not hit the mark, or can we be a little bit more disciplined up front, take a little bit more time, 
and really make sure that we understand those customer needs and deliver something that we know is going to be successful in the market. So those are a couple different ways that I have seen them kind of played out in the marketplace. Let's go back to that that original concept of clarifying paths to growth, right? You you sort of talk or think about that in in different phases from strategic focus to identifying opportunities and talk us through those three phases. Yeah, so I think one of the things when we start to think about like front-end innovation, one of the things that we've started to to identify was that customers don't always have the rigor associated with how to create their strategy. There's a lot of assumptions made. It's reactive. The rigor is not kind of there to really be disciplined and and get the data that's needed to make well-informed decisions. And so I think really strategic focus at the very beginning is identifying, you know, where do we want to focus future growth? And to me, it's a reflection of both internal, how have we performed in the past? You know, what are our strengths as an organization? Like, what kind of company are we and how do we stay true to who we want to be? At the same time, how do we reflect externally as to what's going on with competitors or within the market, different trends that may be going And how do we start to see opportunities that clients should be pursuing? And I think it's okay to pursue opportunities that maybe scare you a little bit, that make you uncomfortable. And I think that's what we're trying to balance out is to really say with clients, like, here's different paths to grow. Let's go explore these. We're not making a commitment to do anything, but I think let's do the due diligence to at least say, hey, we took some time and here's what we understand about the market. So that's where strategic focus really kind of comes into play to really help you identify opportunities to really go explore. In the next phase of work, what we tend to do and all our, what we've learned is our phases kind of allow for sprints and pauses to reflect and make decisions and then sprints and pauses and time to make decisions. So I think we like that that kind of uh, pace because otherwise we could overwhelm clients. And so I think In this opportunity identification phase, it's really about going out and exploring the areas that you want to pursue and really getting really personal and and connect deeply with your customers to understand what their pains are, what kind of problems do they have, who are different people that they interact with throughout the different phases, what are different times that they get, you know, that they're frustrated and really start to understand what are the outcomes that they're really trying to accomplish throughout you know, their day. And so I think it's really important to really be that divergent, kind of like go explore and capture and start to organize and start to identify those themes. Then it's about you know, how can we start to prioritize those and, and kind of rank which ones are the most important and you know, what's their level of satisfaction. And, and by really understanding that, we can say, Here's specific opportunities that allow you to really kind of dig deeper in. And so I think that's that should really direct concept development. So then the last phase is really about how do you create concepts that solve the customer's needs? And how do you start to storyboard and, and communicate new ideas and start to learn like, hey, if we do this or that, Is that going to help meet your needs and just have more conversations with customers? And then there's the at the end of that phase, there's more quantitative kind of surveys that you can use to really kind of make sure that the features and the price 
or what it needs to be before you get into like your hardcore engineering and manufacturing. And so we, we like to use qualitative and quantitative tools or research to just make sure that we're making good decisions, that we're gathering the data and that you feel confident throughout the phases of work that you're learning what you need to learn. We're focused on solving a problem and that you have the clarity that you need to really kind of develop a solution in the marketplace. When you say quantitative and qualitative research, sort of at the end of that process, uh, the third step, now you're talking about taking prototypes, a prototype or a couple, maybe version A, B and C prototype and getting feedback from customers? Yeah, so I think depending on what you're trying to learn, like you can definitely, you know, there's there's paper prototypes that are just sketches and storyboards and there's very mock-up models and there's very refined models that you can take. So I think during that phase of work, depending on what you're really trying to solve, you could really pick like what's the best means to gain customer feedback, right? And so there's there's lots of different prototypes that you can use, but you're right. You want to provide something that allows for that stimulus with a participant so that you can really start to understand if this concept works in this way, is it going to help you or not? Or what do you like or don't like? Or, or, you know, if you have multiple different concepts, they can start to give you preferences as to which ones they like and why. And, and all that is good learning so that you can make the right decisions as you kind of move down the funnel. As I'm listening to you talk through the qualitative, quantitative research, sort of whether it's at the beginning of the process or toward the you know end and prototype of the process, uh, you know that famous Henry Ford quote: "If I had asked them what kind of car they wanted, they would have told me a faster horse." Right. So that's part of the challenge in doing research about products or services that the people you're asking cannot even imagine you know if if you had shown somebody a car in you know 1776 you know they wouldn't have known what to do with that but at the same time if you would have asked them like you know what their problems were or you know different needs that they have around transportation you know while you wouldn't have gotten to a car concept you would understand their needs and what they would have done with the car so i think the transformation and the pioneering of the automobile is definitely a unique story. I think there are still ways to really understand what you know customer needs are and how do you start to structure new ideas around solving them. Yep, it's always about venturing into the abstract and keeping your feet on the ground at the same time to be able to take the new idea and make it happen because in the end you know we talk about innovation as an often overused buzzword and and i th i think the webster's dictionary defines it as something as simple as making something new happen so just the act of making it into reality is a key part of innovation so you've shared a really good framework of how to think about innovation how to think about design thinking push versus pull marketing, how you break your work into the three different phases. Give, give, give us a couple examples of projects that were either you know really successful or, or, or maybe even one that flopped. Sometimes we learn more from those than the successes. You want to hear my flop story, right? Sure, why not? <laughs> okay. 
Well, I'll give you I'll give you a little bit of both. So let's start with successes, right? So I think it's always fun as a designer to see your product in the marketplace. And I think you know, early in my career, I worked on a medical device, and um, you know, I remember sketching out the form and kind of working with the clients on, on different molding techniques and and really kind of bringing it to the market. And I think you know, I was in I was doing some observational work in the operating room. And I uh, kind of walked into the operating room and there's the product that I designed like 10, 15 years ago. And I think it's very, as a designer, it's always rewarding to know that what you've worked on is still adding value to people. And so I think that was, to me, kind of like a personal kind of win. Probably a commercial win if it was in an operating room, it was being used, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yep. And that's, that's part of the benefit of working with medical device companies is there's an inherent value to what you're trying to do because you may never know you know who you know and love may need one of the products that you're kind of working on so i think that's that's really kind of rewarding and a driver for at least me to kind of work in in this space another example is about four years ago we worked with a manufacturing company to move to the life science kind of market and so they wanted to really build kind of a strategy around the life science and and really understand how their products can uh, meet the needs of those customers. And I think if you fast forward to today and this year, they've been a huge contributor to some of the components that are used in ventilators. And so it's very rewarding to even think about today being a step removed from a company that's really kind of impacting what's going on in 2020. So those those are some of our successes. You know, you asked about a failure, and and you're right. You do learn a lot through kind of failed projects. And, you know, when we started Start Something Bold in 2014, we also kind of launched another company, and we had an idea, and it was really kind of focused around the market. And and so we we actually patented the idea, and we kind of pursued the patent. But we really struggled to communicate the value proposition of the idea really struggled to really kind of create the business model associated with it. It was in a complex space. It was within the healthcare space. So it was complicated. And I think it was a distraction for me. You kind of hope that it's always going to be successful and you're going to sell the patent or the business. And and that wasn't the case. And so I think I learned a lot through shutting that business down that, you know, a patent is... I learned a lot about the patent process. I learned a lot about, you know, talking to different partners about that that idea. But at the end of the day, it just, I had to just kind of let that go. So I think it was um, a good learning experience, but uh, I think it was one that uh, was definitely a big, big failure. And I think to be a good innovator, we have to have the humility to look at ourselves in the mirror and say, you know what? Benna, you have a lot of really great ideas and a couple of really dumb ones. <laughs> yeah, right. right. And, and and move on because it's not, because if you're not trying, you know, I, I was talking to a lawyer friend of mine the other day, he, and he told me this great story of uh, how, you know, when he was a junior lawyer, um, the senior lawyer, he was paired up with a senior lawyer, and he, who said to him, you know, I have never lost a case, and you know, intimidated that crap out of my friend David, obviously. Come to find out later on that you know he that senior lawyer actually was fired years later because he had never tried very hard, and he only took 
you know, the safe cases, you know, so failure is a part, you know, it's, it's a part of good innovation. We just have to make sure that we succeed more often or bigger. And the failures, you know, are just sort of a fun story that didn't cost too much money. Yeah. Well, I think, I think you bring up a good point in the sense that as a leader, you have to create an environment that is safe for your employees to recommend ideas that may not be, you know, worth pursuing. And so I think, you know, I love hearing from my team, like ideas that they have about the business or how to help our clients. And, you know, I think creating that safe environment is critical to, to making sure that people feel like you want to hear their ideas and that, you know, you are listening to them and that it is a safe environment and that, you know, at the end of the day, there's, there's criteria and ways that we can kind of test ideas, but Let's bring them to the table and at least kind of explore them. You know, I think there's a lot of synergies around other people kind of sharing ideas that kind of spark new ideas. So I think, I think that's really important as, as leaders kind of think about not only the, the idea, but the organization that they're building as well. Besides leadership skills, are there certain design skills and, and sort of dis- or attitudes that you think are key to being successful in helping bring innovation to manufacturers as an industrial designer? Yeah, I think I think the first thing is just getting really focused on, you know, what's the problem that we're trying to solve? And I think if we understand that and have clarity around that, I think then it's all about, you know, exploring and um, really kind of being comfortable with the ambiguity of really not knowing what we're going to learn or what's going to come out of that phase of work. So I think, you know, but I think at the end of the day, if you're trying to solve too many problems, it's distracting. So I think really getting focus on, hey, we understand the problem that we're trying to solve and we're trying to use, you know, whatever methodology you use. You know, there's so many different approaches, whether it's jobs to be done or the bio design process or kind of design thinking. You know, I would just encourage people just go and, and spend some time with customers you're always going to learn more being out of the office and being alongside your customer than you are making assumptions as to what you think they need. Right on. Thank you so much, uh, Paul. If folks wanted to get a hold of you, how can they find you? How can they reach you? So the best way to reach me is just my email. It's just paul at startsomethingbold.com. You can learn more about Start Something Bold at startsomethingbold.com. And, um, you know, I'm a big kind of networker and connector. So if you want to find me on LinkedIn, you know, feel free to reach out and connect with me on there as well. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thanks, Paul. If anybody in the audience wants to explore growth topics uh, one-on-one, you can find me on our website, uh, realignforresults.com, or you can email me, Benno, B-E-N-N-O, Benno at realignforresults.com. Thank you for listening. Uh, Until next time, let's keep growing. You can listen to more episodes on Apple, Spotify, or Google. We would love for you to subscribe, rate, and review it. Share it with your friends or colleagues if you enjoyed the content. Always growing.